0: Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. We, too, uh, at our facility in uh, Vineyard Trail Crossing up in Dublin... We actually have the exact same carpet you have, in our in uh, areas that we're putting carpet in. So I thought, wow, we should get some kind of like rebate from this thing. You know, we were in we inspired the the beauty that's all over your building now. Actually, it's amazing, isn't it? You guys love it. I I, when uh, when the. Vineyard Northridge first became a part of the Vineyard uh, Movement Association of Vineyard Churches. I remember coming in, uh, Neil had me come in through the back door, and the downstairs was just like a warehouse. It was just empty. Uh, uh, It's so like walking in the building, I just go, wow, this is amazing, Uh, you know, all the cool stuff that God's doing here. So uh, way to go, Vineyard Northridge. Uh, Thank you for giving me a chance to uh, share. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to open it up to Acts chapter 8. We're just going to start, we're going to jump in, read the passage. And we're going to read two passages, they're going to be up on the boards here. Uh, we're going to read Acts 8, 4 to 8, and then we're going to skip a few verses and read Acts eight twenty six to 40. So let's start with Acts 8, 4 to 8. I'm reading, actually I'm going to read it off of here because I think I have a different version than you, than you have here. So there was much joy in that city. Now we're going to skip ahead. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, I've got a real simple point today, and I think it, I'm, I'm going to tell you the point and just give you a little way to remember it. Uh, not that you have to have great memory to remember it, but it's just, it's just, I think it will help you. Uh, if uh, This is a series that uh, the, the Lord is taking Vineyard Northridge through uh, in the book that Brian Blount wrote called uh, Putting Jesus on Display with Love and Power. And in Acts, I mean, in chapter four, one of the points he makes is, and I guess it's the point of the whole chapter, is that, that putting Jesus on display and putting his love and power on display is meant to be a lifestyle. Okay, it's not just something we do here and there, certain places and certain times. It's really a lifestyle. And so with that in mind, here's here's another way to to grasp what this passage is showing and what Brian's trying to bring out. Jesus has commissioned everyone to put his love and power on display everywhere, every day. Okay, there's a few amens there. Good. So I want you to, to say these three words with me. It just sums up that word. I'll say the word and you say it after me, okay? Everyone, Everyone. everywhere, everywhere. Every, day. every day. Okay, now you say it. Everyone. Everywhere. Every day. Okay, now I want you to look, I want you to understand. Uh, it's, this, is a, this is a secret. I'm going to let you know. Most of us really don't believe that, okay? It's an awkward secret. It's not a secret we like to admit. There's a lot of stuff in the book that we, you know, we say we believe, but you can tell we really don't because we don't try to live it out. And I think many times we don't live it out because we're not sure we have permission to live it out, right? Or if we have permission, we feel like, yeah, I'm kind of, I don't think I'm up to it. You know, I'm not a good enough person. I'm not smart enough. I'm not. I'm not enough. You ever feel like that? Yep. Yeah, uh, I do all the time. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories here uh, about how I've learned uh, to to uh, how my journey's going with everyone, everywhere, every day. And but most of my stories, I want to tell you some encouraging stories. I have a lot of stories of failure. But the truth is, you can't get on this train without missing it many times. It's just the total truth. So, everyone, when people hear that, they go, right, even me? And when we hear everywhere, we go, you mean like where I work and live and learn and play? That everywhere? Yeah. And then we hear every day and we go, yeah, no, I, I'm into that on Sundays at church. But every day? Everywhere? Everyone? Yeah. Now, I will admit that, that this whole idea uh, does stretch you a, a bit. Maybe it stretches you a lot, okay? And maybe in this time in your life, you're going, how can I believe that, you know? Well, I want to give you just a couple of, I want to pull a couple of points out of this passage and then tell you a couple of stories that I hope will encourage you and help you to begin to believe that God, God has commissioned everyone, even you, to put Jesus's love on display everywhere, every day. That he's already trying to do that, but he has chosen to partner himself, as Wes was talking earlier, or someone up here, there was a lot of people up here earlier. I was going, how many staff does this church have? It's like, there must be like 12 congregations. But somebody up here talked about partnering. And when we partner with God, uh, uh, we get to work with him, okay? Okay. And that's what makes this all possible. What Jesus did, he wants us to continue. And he's still doing it, but he he holds himself back at times because God loves to partner with people. It's a a surprising principle in the Bible, but he does stuff through us. That's what he made us for. He could do everything himself, but he made us so that we can enjoy the joy of partnering with him. Now, if, if you go back to verse 4, if you could put it back on the screen there. Uh, the preface of this verse is persecution broke out in the, in the church, against the church in Jerusalem. And, it, and Paul, uh, who was Saul, uh, began after Stephen was martyred, he just began to attack the church like a, like a ravaging animal. And it says, starting in verse 4, that those who had been that, that all these people had been scattered. And it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And there's different ways that, that your translation has put it. But what it's saying is uh, most of the church, except for the apostles, were driven a- away from Jerusalem. And the first place they that the story shows that they went was a place called Samaria. And so I want to look at this says those who were scattered, which was everybody, everyone, and surprisingly, even though they'd been driven out of their homes and they were uh, in unfamiliar places, they were they were being chased and persecuted. It says that the, even though they were being chased and persecuted for following Jesus and sharing the good news, they kept doing it despite that. Now. A lot, a lot of people would look at that and go, you know, if you're getting in trouble for doing something, maybe you should just stop doing it and you won't get in trouble anymore. But they just said, no, we, we, it's wrong for us to get in trouble for sharing the good news about Jesus, so we're going to keep doing it no matter where we go. So this is a little picture of all, okay? Everyone, those who were scattered went about preaching the word, all of them. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not... Ignorant. I understand there were probably people that were a little afraid and intimidated, and they didn't. But Luke is telling us that the majority, probably most of them, were just so gripped by the good news about Jesus and the grace that they had experienced, that they just told people out of love and gratitude. And so, Philip is being used by Luke to represent these people. So we're just going to get one story among many, okay? There was many, many, many stories like Philip and the Ethiopian court official that Luke could have chosen. But he just chose this. He's representative of all of us, okay? So John records and when Jesus was resurrected... All He kept appearing to to the apostles and and those that followed him. And one time in John 20, uh, we get this dialogue that Jesus had with with his disciples. Now remember, they're struggling to believe in him at this point. They're struggling to believe that he's really raised from the dead, right? I mean, he he didn't have to say to them. He would show up someplace they gathered and the doors were locked. He'd show up. And, they were, and he would begin to, to converse with them, and, and they were thinking, this isn't real. We're, you know, we're in some kind of a dream, some kind of weird matrix-like scene. And he would go, like he said to, to uh, one of the disciples, I think it was uh, Thomas, he said, he said, believe. He said, look at my hands, look at the nail scars, you know, look at my, put your hand in my side. This is me. I'm raised from the dead. And I think they were as that sinking in. He says, "As the Father has sent me, so I send you." It says he breathed on all of them. He said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." And this is what happens when, when everyone who believes in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. You can't be a believer without the Holy Spirit living in you. He's the one that gives the, you it, brings the new birth to you. And it says that the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And he's the one, as we receive him, we receive with him this commissioning to represent Jesus. Because when Jesus received the Spirit at his baptism, that's when immediately he, be, he went out. And first, I'm sorry, first he fasted 40 days, but then he went out and shared. And so this, this little prayer, we're going to pray it at the end of the talk today, this message. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father has sent me, so all of us are being sent. So Jesus is commissioning us when we believe in him. He puts the Spirit in our lives, and that's a commissioning. Now, sometimes uh, he'll commission us. Well, he he always does this over and over and over. The Spirit comes and meets you in fresh ways. And part of what he's doing, because there there may be a time where you just feel... Uh, so guilt-ridden over maybe you haven't been the best version of yourself, and you really have dishonored the Lord in some way, and and you're asking him, come and just cleanse me and forgive me. And that experience of cleansing comes, and you're so grateful that you just feel like clean again, but that's also a commissioning, okay? And maybe another time you're really grieving, and your heart's broken because of some loss in your life, And, and Jesus comes, And he comforts you. That's also a commissioning. Okay? Because he wants you to tell your story to people of who he is and what he does. And your story is different from from day to day and week to week. But everybody gets that. And so when the Lord touches you, just remember this. When when God does something in your life, that is a gospel opportunity for you to tell someone. There's usually someone in the the immediate... uh, uh, world you live in, where you live, work, learn, and play. Who needs to hear exactly what the Lord just did for you? It's He's prepared them for you for a divine a, a divine appointment. Okay, now I'll tell you a story about this. Uh, there's a young guy named Phil, and he he goes to a Vineyard Church, and his home group around Christmas time one time said, "Hey, let's let's not like do our regular thing." Let's go out and just kind of walk around and pray, you know, in our community. And so they were just hanging out. They weren't going Christmas caroling or anything, you know, like that. They were just walking around. And as they're walking, Phil hears this prompting. As they're walking through uh, uh, their neighborhood, he hears like some Christmas chimes. Have you ever heard that before? And someone has like a little speaker out in front of their house, and there's little Christmas music. And, and he, he said... I think the Lord is telling me to go and f- that he wants me to talk to the people who live at the house who are playing that Christmas music. And so he wanders through the neighborhood and finally finds a house. And he comes up and knocks on the door and uh, rings the doorbell, knocks on the door. And it's like a two-story house. And these are like row houses. And he looks up and he sees the light come on and, and uh, you know the curtains open and someone looks down and they make their way down, and he hears the door. He hears six locks. And so he's thinking, wow, this person must not feel very secure, right? you got six locks on your door, and we're walking around the neighborhood at night. Wow. Uh, the, the, the guy opens the door and says, yeah, what do you want? And he said, I'm a Christian, and I just felt like God sent me to knock on your door and say, is there anything I can pray for you about? And so the guy says, oh, oh my God, come in. He invites him in and says, uh, he'd had two big losses in his life. One of them was when a brother had died and another big loss. And he's not a believer, and he says, I've been so heartbroken over this. I've been so down. I've just been staying in my house. I'm, I'm so depressed. And he said, literally tonight, I was sitting in my bedroom and thinking, God, if you're there, would you send someone to me who would let me know you're real and would help me know what to do with this pain I have? And Phil's just like, Phil is you and Phil is me. Totally down to earth, not a pastor, not anybody special. Everyone. Everyone. And I imagine if I interviewed enough of you, I could find you've had some kind of experience that's in the neighborhood of that experience that Phil had. And you, you would call yourself, I'm just an everyday follower of Jesus. But everyone is commissioned to put Jesus' love and power on display. But what about everywhere? Okay? What about everywhere? That seems like a tall task. Because there's some pretty dark, difficult, you know, not, doesn't seem like real gospel-friendly sort of places, right? And those places are full of people who don't seem that interested or that open to whatever it is you might want to share, Right? right? Okay, I just want to know if you're, if you're tracking with me here, right? And even here in Northridge, you're going to experience that, right? I know in darkest Columbus, you know that would be normal, but, you know, all the nice people in small town, Springfield, or, you know, just sweet, open, gospel-loving people, no, not true, right? Not true. So, it says, those who had been scattered preached. Go back to that verse again. Everywhere It says, everyone, everywhere, every day. They went about preaching the word. Now, my translation says this. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Wherever. Everywhere. And, like I said, Philip was used by Luke as a representative of all these people. And they were in Samaria, which was a, a place that was considered like no-go territory for Jewish, most Jewish people, wouldn't go through Samaria. There was an ancient hostility between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. It's a long story, but it was just like they, they didn't get along. And when they were scattered, they went to Samaria. They went to a place where historically, Jewish people just didn't go. And they realized, when they went there, that God was at work in Samaria. And you can go back to John chapter 4, and you can see the disciples uh, surprised. And the woman that Jesus talked to at the well, she said, why are you talking to me? And when Jesus had finished talking to her, and the the disciples came back with the food, they they, go together. Why is he talking to that woman? You know, she's a Samaritan. This is this was a place where people thought God's not at work here. God kind of avoids this like we do. There's no no go zone for God. He is already working in the places that, that to our eyes and in our imagination we can't conceive of him being there. He's already there. He is at work. And so this everywhere we've got to grasp that God is, he wants us. To demonstrate His love and power everywhere where we live, work, learn, and play is a lifestyle. Uh, years ago, I was taking a class. Take quick story. I was taking a class, uh, some training, and back in Columbus, and uh, it had to do with, with counseling. And the uh, the two instructors, as I sat in the class, I didn't know anybody in the class except the one instructor, and I only knew her. Uh, you know minimally, and the other instructor didn't know at all. But it was a uh, quarter. It was a 12-week class. And as we went through the class, a couple of weeks into it, I kept getting the same prompting about uh, one of the instructors because they tag-teamed instruction. They, they would do parts of each uh, session each week. I kept looking at her thinking, I think God's saying that she's She's struggling with infertility. Now, that's not an easy topic to bring up to anybody, much less someone who's a stranger to you, right? So week after week, I get this, and I know, okay, I think I'm supposed to pray for her. And I just was real re- reluctant. I just felt really awkward. You know, it just, it just didn't seem like, you know, that's great, God. If that's true, I hope you send someone to talk to her and pray for her. That's where, that was where I was at. Well, this just kept bugging me and bugging me. And so the, the week before, uh, week 11, I went up to uh, Mary Beth, the lady who was a teacher. And I said, I think, I don't know how to say this, but you know, this lady, does she have any problem with fertility? Because I think we should pray for her if she does, because I think God wants to give her children. And so she goes, well, I don't know, you know, and, and she'd already left. Uh, I, I waited till the, other, the lady left so I could talk to Mary Beth, right? <laughs> Bold man of faith here. And so I waited until the 11th week, right? This is how chicken I was. And so she goes, well, I'll ask her. And so the last week, you know, she comes up to me after the class. Or, oh, I'm sorry, she comes up to the beginning of the class and says, you know, uh, let's talk. I, I, I talked to, to, I can't even think of the lady's name now. Let's just say your name is Sue. I talked to Sue, and she's really interested in talking to you about this. And so after the class was over, we we sit down, and the class is gone, and we're just sitting in these three chairs, like we took three chairs like that. And she said, now tell her what you felt like, uh, God, and I didn't know anything about this lady, so nothing about biographically. I mean, she seemed to be really earnest, and she was smart and a good and effective uh, counselor. So I said, I don't, you know, I hope this isn't, I'm not being too forward, you, you know, Mary Beth's already broken the ice, but I think maybe uh, you're struggling with infertility and, and could we pray for you? And the lady says, Well, I have a kid, and as far as I know, I don't have any problems with infertility. And I just went, Yeah, oh, you know, just, just kind of melt down on the floor and just, you know, like head for the drain and go down in the drain. That's how I felt. She goes, but but you could pray for me anyway, and and I didn't, I had no faith. I couldn't remember a Bible verse at that moment. If you if you my life depended on it, and I said okay, and I just closed my eyes because I don't. When I pray for people, you know, I've been taught you don't close your eyes, but I was so full of shame, I wanted to close my eyes so I didn't have to look at her because it just reminded me. So I closed my eyes and I and I said, can I put my hand on your your shoulder? She goes sure. As soon as I put my hand on her shoulder, this prophetic prayer just came out of me, and I was just surprised. And, um, and Mary Beth started crying, and the lady started crying, and it, we went on for you know, four or five minutes, and they were like just undone. And I was like, oh my gosh, where did that come from? That, that was God. I thought I missed God. God's actually here. So, to make a long story short, uh, months go by, and uh, I get a phone call. Pick up the phone up. And this is back when we actually had, uh, you know, like there was a, a thing, because this is back in the 80s. Pick up the phone, hey, and, and this, this crazy person on the other end of the line is just talking so fast, I go, hello, hold on, hold there. I'm sorry, do I know you? <laughs> you don't recognize you. John, this is me. I, you know, my name's Sue. and I go, okay, Sue, what? She goes, you prayed for me, and I go, oh, how you doing? She goes, I got this whole crazy story. So right after we prayed for her, she called her OBGYN up and said, I want to get an appointment. And the, you know, I wanted because what it was, I didn't know the rest of the story. They had an, uh, her and her husband had a nine-year-old boy, and the, and they didn't, they didn't, they wanted to have kids, and they just kept trying and trying, and they after they had the nine-year-old boy, but she could never get pregnant. But they didn't think anything about it. They were happy. They, had, and they just figured it would happen. And she thought, I wonder if there's some problem. So she goes in, and the, he says, well, listen, And women know. It takes a long time, I guess, to see your OBGYN. So months went by. She finally gets an appointment because, it, as far as she knows, she doesn't have some grave problem. So uh, they, they run her through tests because she said, I wonder if I have some problem. And so, uh, you know, a month later, uh, she gets the return appointment, and he comes in. And he says, "You know, we ran tests, and you know, this is we we need to we need. I want you to sit down." And she's going, "Oh my god! Oh, what's wrong?" You know, he goes, "We ran tests, and we found out, you know, what's been going on." And she goes, "Okay, I'm a, I can take whatever it is." She goes, "You're pregnant," <laughs> and she goes. <laughs> What? Because at this time, she's in her late 30s. And she, and she goes, I'm pregnant. And he goes, yeah, you're pregnant. You know, you've been pregnant before. You know what that's like. And she got pregnant the week after we prayed for her. And they didn't find anything wrong with her, but she was totally blown away. She, they would wanted kids all this time, right? Well, it turns out she is a pastor at a Presbyterian church, She tells the church the story. Everyone is so happy because they love her. Everyone's, I didn't know this. They're so happy about what happened, and they're so excited, they start a healing service in their church, a monthly healing service, and she led it. I would never have believed that would have come out of that, but that's the way the Lord does this. And in a classroom, the Lord will show up. That's in one of the everywheres, where you live, work, learn, and play. And, and where you drive, and everything else you do, the Lord is there working in people's hearts. Okay? So, put it back up again. Everyone, everywhere, every day. Okay? So the every day, this is a little easier In this passage, there isn't a mention, there isn't any mention of every day. In fact, what's strange about their world, the Jewish world, God healed and worked on six days, but not the Sabbath. But Jesus taught them that God is working even on the Sabbath, right? We flipped it. We think that God works on Sunday, but he doesn't work the other six days. Unless there's a famous preacher in town. Right, And then maybe he'll do something, but he, he, he won't with us. Well, this, is, this story, if you read the book of Acts over and over and over, it's just like God is at work every day, every, everyone, everywhere, every day. It hasn't changed. Uh, I'll give you one more everyday story, uh, and then we're going to wind up. I'll make this quick no, i'm going to skip it because i want to I want to we're going to pray there prayed for real quickly the summary is I, I, I was in a restaurant once, uh, talking to some pastors who were trying to learn how to pray for the sick and then in their church they didn't do that. How do you learn to do that and I, I kept looking at this uh, waiter, this uh, server, and I kept looking at her hands and thinking, I think she's got something wrong with her hands and she was right behind the pastors that I was talking to, and I kept as they're as we're talking, I kept seeing her hand. And they go, How do you hear God's voice? And I said, I think I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna take a we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna practice it in front of you. I think that lady, that server, I, they turned around and said, I think she's got some kind of problem and pain in her hand. So I'm gonna go over there and ask her if I could pray for her. So I went over and asked her to pray for her. And by then the servers had gathered, because it was like two, three o'clock, to uh, uh have their own lunch and they were talking and I I, I, she was Latino, couldn't speak English. So uh, I go to that restaurant. And so the, the manager there knows me. And so he said, well, listen, I'll, I'll uh, interpret it for you. And so uh, we pr- I prayed for her. Her hands were healed. And, and she's like, I prayed for her multiple times. And she's, each time she's going, oh my gosh, my hands are better. And then the the manager, he's on the other side of this high top table. He walks around to me like this. And there's a a, a little chair like this, and he puts his foot up on it like this, and he says, my knee hurts. I play soccer, and I'm, I can't play tonight, because uh, he, uh, he was a Latino guy too, and he says, I love soccer. Would you pray for my knee? And I'm, I'm looking at him, and I go, okay, and I pray for him. You know, he walks around. It's a little better. Pray for him again. Uh, third or fourth time, he starts running around the restaurant, and he starts, you know, like doing it. If I do that, I'm going to injure myself, but you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's doing his little soccer thing and with an invisible ball, and he goes, the pain is totally gone. He goes, how did you do that? And I said, it was just Jesus. And, and then, you know, I said, well, you know, I hope that helps, and I went back over. Four years later, I'm in another Mexican restaurant in Columbus, and he's in there, and he's serving it. And I go, Jose, how are you doing? And he comes over, and, 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 he, and he sits down, and he says, i got to tell you this story. Um, apparently... He owns several dozen Mexican restaurants uh, around Ohio. And he said, uh, I'm following Jesus now. So he, he wasn't a follower of Jesus then when I prayed for him. And I didn't witness to him, but God was at work in his life. Between uh, when that prayer happened and then, he'd come to faith in Jesus. And he, was, he said, I'm so excited. i got to tell you, this crazy change in my life. I've been so excited about what Jesus has done for me in my life, and what that started, he said, "I'm I'm selling all my businesses so I can just begin to go and tell people about Jesus. All these people in my in my community, I want them to know what Jesus has done for me. That He can do it for them." I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh!" Just this little prayer in a restaurant, you know, not in church, touched this guy's life. It was part of a series of things that brought him to faith, that that showed him that God really is real. Okay, so he's commissioned us to do that. He's commissioned all of us to do that everywhere, every day. And so what I want to ask you to do is you're probably struggling with one or more of those three points. It may be hard for you to believe that he wants to, he's really commissioned you. It may be hard for you to believe that he's commissioned you to represent him everywhere or every day. So one or more of those is a sticking point for you. And what I want to do today is just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to recommission you. And you don't really need any big experience to do this stuff, right? But sometimes, uh, and I think on a regular basis, God's trying to uh, reinforce to us that He really has commissioned us, that He's commissioned you. And so, you know, in, in the vineyard, we've learned that the Spirit of God is working in people's lives, and He wants to empower you to do this stuff. And here's the picture I want you to think of. So I want you to think that you're like Peter. One day, when Jesus was in His boat, and Jesus said, and I believe this is something for the vineyard Northridge. I could be wrong, uh, but I had, a, I had a prophetic sense as I was praying for this gathering that you and the Vineyard Northridge are like Peter when Jesus was in his boat and he was teaching from his boat as a platform in front of the multitudes. And then Jesus said, I want you to push out into the deeper water and I want you to catch some fish. And, and what did Peter say? We've been, doing this all night. We've been doing this all night. You know, we got nothing. Bobkiss. But, okay, Jesus, you know, Mr big shot fisherman preacher. We'll do it because you say so. And they throw their nets out and they pull the nets up up on the, in their boats. And there's so many fish in the net that it starts tipping the boat and sinking the boat and they have to call other boats to come over. And, and what did, do you remember what Peter said? Peter, he, was, he, he, he said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve for you to be uh, even in my boat you know, leave, let's take you to shore and just go away. And what did Jesus say? Don't be afraid. Yeah. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. But he gave him, do you understand? He gave him this picture. And and it's a picture I want you to hold on to. We feel as disqualified as Peter did in the boat with Jesus. Jesus. But Jesus is, wants to commission us, and he's, he's giving you, an ex, in that picture, he's giving you something that's supposed to recalibrate your expectation that he is going to use Vineyard Northridge that way. He's going to use you in ways that are going to surprise you. And you may have an experience of going, I've done this, I've tried this, it doesn't work. Just like Peter, we tried, it doesn't work. I really believe Jesus is saying, okay, that's, that's fine, That that's true, I'm not arguing that, but I want you to know, I'm going to be with you, and you're going to be with me, and things are going to be different. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.